Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast where I, Charlotte Appleyard, discuss random topics of interest that relate to social history, art and material culture through a female lens. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appleyard. One aspect of history I have always found fascinating is how media and culture can warp the life of a person and turn them into a fictional character. It is always intriguing to find these people and try to unearth the truth about their lives among the embellishments. One woman from history I have decided to explore deeper is Maria von Trapp, a name most people have heard of due to Julie Andrews' portrayal in the 1965 musical film The Sound of Music. episode we will look at the real Maria's biography and delve into some of the differences between the true story and the musical adaptation. Maria Augusta Kutschira was born in 1905 on a train from her family's village in Tyrol going to Vienna. Tragically she was not able to know her mother who died of pneumonia when she was two. This left her father grief-stricken and unable to care for his daughter and her half-brother. Eventually, he would leave them in the care of a cousin who became their foster mother. Maria's father would go on to travel the world and only return to Vienna now and then, staying in his apartment, which Maria would occasionally visit as a child. This was short-lived, as at the age of nine, Maria's father would also die. As a result, her uncle Franz became her guardian. Franz treated Maria poorly and often punished her. Later, it would come to light he had been suffering from poor mental health. Maria later transformed as she became a teenager. With a fun and lively personality, she often thought she may as well stop trying to be so good because no matter what she did, she would get in trouble. During these years, she also proved herself academically and got good grades. At 15, Maria graduated from high school and decided to run away from her situation to stay with a friend, becoming determined to make a living from tutoring children staying at nearby hotels. However, due to her youthful appearance, she struggled to be taken seriously. Finally, one hotel manager asked her to be an umpire for a tennis tournament. Despite having no idea what this involved, she accepted the job. Maria managed to save enough money to enter the State Teachers College for Progressive Education in Vienna, where she received a scholarship and graduated at the age of 18 in 1923. One year later, she entered Nonberg Abbey, a Benedictine monastery in Salzburg, as a postulant intending to become a nun. While in the monastery, Maria was asked to teach Maria Francesca, who was one of seven children and the daughter of a widowed naval commander, Georges von Trapp. 
His wife, Age Whitehead, had died in 1922 from scarlet fever, leaving a maternal hole in the family. Eventually, Maria began to take care of the other children as well, who were Rupert, Agaif, Werner, Hedwig, Joanna and Marina. She loved them deeply and was fully committed to this new role. Captain Von Trapp saw the affection she had for his children and despite being 25 years older than her, asked her to marry him. Maria was not immediately overjoyed and filled with the apprehension, fled back to Nonberg Abbey to seek guidance from the mother abbess, Virgilia Lutz. She advised her it was God's will and she should marry him. This was enough for Maria to return to the family and accept the captain's proposal. However, she was filled with anger on her wedding day at both God and her new husband, as she truly wanted to become a nun. In her autobiography, she wrote, quote, I really and truly was not in love. I liked him, but didn't love him. However, I loved the children. So in a way, I really married the children. I learned to love him more than I have ever loved before or after. They married in 1925 and had three children together. Rosemary, born in 1929, Eleanor in 1931, and Yo Anne in 1939. One leisure activity the Von Trapps enjoyed was hiking. One day while out walking, they stayed overnight in a farmhouse. It was during this experience Joanna, Martina and Maria Francesca contracted scarlet fever. The first two recovered, but the older Maria developed kidney stones due to dehydration. Although she had a successful surgery in Vienna, she would experience lifelong kidney problems. In addition to medical issues, the family also experienced financial problems in 1935. Georges transferred his savings from a bank in London to an Austrian one run by a friend named Fra Lammer. During this period, Austria was experiencing economic difficulties as the world was plunged into a depression following the crash of 1929. As a result, Lammer's bank failed. To survive, the Von Trapps dismissed the majority of their servants and moved to the top floor of their house, renting the other rooms to people. During this time, the Archbishop of Salzburg, Sigismund Waltz, and Father Franz Wasner was there staying with them as their chaplain. This would prompt a relationship that would be the catalyst for the family's singing career. Also in attendance was a soprano singer named Lot Lehrmann, who heard the family sing and suggested they perform at concerts. They also performed on the radio when the Austrian Chancellor Kurt Schlesneg invited them to perform in Vienna. After performing at a festival in 1935, they became a popular touring act. The family lived under Nazi occupation after the annexation of Austria by Germany in March 1938. Life became difficult as they witnessed anti-Semitism being inflicted on Jewish children in their classroom. 
There were other factors, but basically they could no longer live in a Nazi society and left Austria, travelling to Italy, England and then the United States. Their abandoned home would become the headquarters for Heinrich Himmler. Initially, they called themselves the Trap Family Choir and began to perform in the US and Canada, including a show in New York at the Town Hall in 1938. They were lovable and appealing in their modest clothing, performing in a semicircle in their Austrian folk costume, adorned in red ribbons. They were very charming and sort of otherworldly. Charles Wagner was their first booking agent, and then they signed with Frederick Christian Schlang, who criticised their band name, thinking it was too churchy. Eventually, they changed it to the Trap Family Singers. Catapulting to success, they performed all around the world, giving concert performances. Following the war, they found the Trap Family Austrian Relief Fund, which sent food and clothing to the poor in Austria. In the 1940s, the family made the move to the United States, settling in Stowe, Vermont, where they ran a music camp when they were not touring. Many of the children would go on to apply for citizenship, whereas their father, Georges, did not. He would later pass away in 1947 after suffering from lung cancer. In the 1950s, the family made some LPs, but disbanded in 1957 and went their separate ways. Maria and three of her children became missionaries in Papua New Guinea, and in 1965, Maria moved back to Vermont to manage the Trap Family Lodge, but later would reluctantly give over this to Jeanne. Maria von Trapp died of heart failure in 1987 at the age of 82, and is interred at the family cemetery at the lodge along with her husband and five of her stepchildren. Interestingly, the musical and film about Maria's life came out when she was still alive, so we are in the unique position where we can find out what the subject of a piece of media actually thought of the work emulating their life. Maria had a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo during the song I Have Confidence, where she can be seen passing Julie Andrews in the background, accompanied by her daughter, Rosemary, and the daughter of Werner von Trapp, who she was caring for. I have confidence the world can all be mine. They'll have to agree I have confidence in me. The fact Maria appeared in the film shows she supported its making and perhaps enjoyed the experience. But how accurate is the film? The musical was actually based on another movie called The Trap Family, 
which was a West German film made in 1956, as opposed to Maria's 1949 memoirs. The director of the musical, Vincent J. Donoghue, was looking for a vehicle to showcase the talents of Broadway superstar Mary Martin, and after seeing the movie, thought the character would suit her. The West German screenwriter made several large changes to the family's story. For example, she originally was hired to teach one child, but this changed over time and soon she became a governess for all seven children. The musical is very much a piece of work from the 60s, was clearly influenced by other films of the era, including Mary Poppins and Camelot. Coincidentally, both also starred Julie Andrews, who would, as we know, play Maria in the film version of the Broadway show. The screenwriter, Ernest Lerman, was inspired by the opening of West Side Story and the idea of framing the story like a fairy tale. Many tropes were incorporated, including an idyllic location, a romantic view of Europe, and a star-crossed romance between the vivacious Maria and stern Captain Von Trapp. Even the lavish wedding echoes the fairy tale romance of a dream wedding. Artistic license was used to embellish the true story into an exaggerated version of itself. For example, George Ludwig Von Trapp was an anti-Nazi and lived with his family in a villa in Salzburg, which is true enough. However, their lifestyle was highly exaggerated, as was the sort of vigour of George's anti-Nazism. In the musical, George was referred to as Captain, but he held a noble title of Ritter, a hereditary knight, which held a higher social status than naval officer. Austrian nobility was abolished in 1919, but the Von was prescribed and used unofficially as a show of social courtesy. Maybe Captain made more sense to an, a Western American audience as opposed to a sort of outdated noble title. Nazi Germany at the time were looking to expand its fleet of U-boats and George was the most successful Austro-Hungarian submarine commander of World War One, having shot 11 Allied merchant ships, among other. George had seriously considered the offer, but ultimately could not serve under the Nazi regime. This was not explored in the film. In The Sound of Music, George is depicted as a distant and humorless man, but in real life, he was dating and loving, and he made handmade gifts for the children in his woodshop, and would often lead in family musical performances with his violin. Interestingly, it is Maria herself who was described as moody and prone to losing her temper. These accounts here recollected by Maria Francesca in a 2003 interview. Quote, she had a terrible temper, and from one moment to the next she didn't know what hit her. We were not used to this, but we took it like a thunderstorm, that would pass because the next minute she could be very nice." End quote. One aspect of the film that was accurate was that Maria was a novice at Nonberg Abbey and had first come to the family as an employee. Although rather disappointingly her ultimate marriage was not due to a two worlds colliding romance briefly interrupted by a love triangle 
and as previously discussed was more of a marriage of convenience that was more to do with the children having a mother. Another difference is that the family started singing following Maria's marriage to George when they started to perform for money when they fell on financial difficulty. This fact alone caused George immense embarrassment. Furthermore, their dramatic escape was much simpler in reality as they walked to the local train station and boarded a train to Italy. The family were entitled to Italian citizenship since Georges was born in Zadar, which had been annexed by Italy after World War I. Due to this, they were able to emigrate to the US via the United Kingdom on their Italian passports. The family priest, Franz Wagner, who first encouraged the Von Trapp family's musical talent, was fictionalised and renamed Max Detweiler, filling a decidedly more scheming role. Franz's relationship was much closer in real life. In fact, he even travelled with them when they left Austria. Some of the children were also changed in the film. The character Friedrich, the second oldest, was based on Rupert, the oldest of the real children, whereas the oldest child in the film, Liesel, was based on Agaith, who was the second eldest in the real family and did not have a relationship with a youthful burgeoning Nazi. The names and ages were changed as well, perhaps to avoid having multiple characters called Maria. The Von Trapp family had no control over how they were depicted on film and stage as they had given up the rights to their story in the 1950s. Robert Wise met with Maria Von Trapp and according to a memo made it clear that he was not making a quote documentary or realistic movie about her family and that he would make the film with quote complete dramatic freedom in order to produce a fine and moving film, one that they could all be proud of. I would argue that the, the true story is always more interesting, but that's just me. Maybe at the time it did not quite fit in with the tastes of the 1960s. The Von Trapps never saw much of the massive profits The Sound of Music made. This was because Maria had sold the film rights to a German producer, unaware of the repercussions. It is clear that they had no input, however the producers were courteous and listened to some of Maria's suggestions, even though nothing substantial made it into the final product. This did not anger Maria, and she was grateful there were no extreme revisions, feeling that she herself was represented fairly and accurately, although Martin from the musical and Andrews from the film were thought to be too gentle-like girls out of Bryn Mawr. As Maria stated in the Washington Post in 1978, of course she wouldn't have any gripes about her depiction when Julie Andrews is playing her. The only gripe Maria did have, however, was that she disliked the way her husband was portrayed. The children's reactions varied. Some disliked the fact they were portrayed as only singing lightweight, sentimental music, that their story was simplified and also disagreed with the alterations to their beloved father's personality. 
As Jans von Trapp said in a 1998 New York Times interview, quote, it's not what my family was about. We were about good taste, culture, all these wonderful upper class standards that people make fun of in movies like Titanic were about environmental sensitivity, artistic sensitivity. Sound of music simplifies everything. I think perhaps reality is at the same time less glamorous but more interesting than the myth. In conclusion, Maria von Trapp had a fascinating life that can tell us a great deal about life in the early 20th century. She was a bright and interesting character who fell into an unconventional relationship with a much older gentleman. Through wavering fortunes under the guidance of a strong female matriarch, the family harnessed their artistic abilities to help change their circumstances against the backdrop of war and financial difficulties, ultimately leading to a fascinating immigrant's story of a group of displaced individuals whose tale became immortalised in a very American art form. I think there is an interesting discussion to be had around artistic licence, particularly in terms of true stories. In this case, the sound of music feels very imbued in the culture of the day, and today such liberties may not have been taken if it were made now. It does feel slightly unethical that all of Maria's rights were stripped from her when she made the original deal, when the German film was being made, and as a result saw hardly any financial profit from this mega successful film. It does also feel like with so many women, her image has been lost in time and replaced by this squeaky clean depiction of Julie Andrews. In saying this, Maria von Trapp does not seem to have suffered in her lifetime. She even performed with Andrews on the Julie Andrews Hour, so clearly in some way she enjoyed the attention and the experience and profited off of it because she did also publish books and there was much interest in her as a person. There are so many ways of interpreting this, but at the end of the day, Maria enjoyed a long life and through the sound of music, her legacy lives on and may help curious individuals to dig a bit deeper and learn more about the true story of this thoroughly interesting woman. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. There will be references in the show notes and as always some images on Instagram. So please follow us there at the Museum of Femininity and I will see you next time. Goodbye.